Today's scripture comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 14. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, two years ago, I had the uh, opportunity to visit along with my wife, Hannah, what one reporter referred to as uh, the identity of France and one of the icons of Western civilization, and that is the Notre Dame Cathedral. And I remember uh, walking into the cathedral for the first time, and the first feeling that I experienced was that of smallness, uh, because that's the point of Gothic architecture, it's supposed to make you feel small in light of something that is so grand. I remember uh, sitting in the cathedral silently watching uh, people pray quietly uh, to God. Uh, I remember climbing the steps all the way up uh, to the very top where you can see one of the best views of Paris. And like many of you, I remember watching this past week uh, the Notre Dame engulfed in flames uh, as a steeple came slowly crumbling down in what resembled an apocalyptic movie. And when you see something that has withstood the test of time for almost 1,000 years sort of crumble, it's hard not to think, does anything last in this world? Uh, is life that transitory? Is James chapter 3 right when James says that our life is like a mist that appears and then vanishes, no longer to be remembered? And so I was encouraged when uh, President Macron, the, the president of France, said that their number one goal right now is to resurrect the Notre Dame from its ash heap because it's not only a symbol of uh, Western civilization, the identity of France, but it's also now a symbol of hope uh, as well, that no matter what happens, we will rise from the ashes. And similarly, I would say that for Christians, uh, our identity is the empty tomb. And the empty tomb uh, is our symbol of hope. And that is why we are all gathered here today uh, on Easter Sunday. Well, if we, if we haven't met, my name is Aaron, and um, I'm one of the pastors uh, here at uh, Exilic, and uh, myself and some other special people, uh, we started this church about four and a half years ago. And the reason why I mention that is because the person that penned uh, what you just read uh, is the Apostle Paul, and he started churches. And oftentimes when he would start a church, as soon as he started it, he would go on to start another. And so unlike me, where I sort of stuck around for better or worse for four and a half years, he would start a church and then he would go on to start other churches throughout the Mediterranean world. But sometimes he would leave those ch churches orphaned without a pastor. And so as a result, some of these congregations had questions like the church in Thessalonica. And one of the questions that this church had was, what happens after we die? We know that there's going to be a second Christmas, that Jesus is going to come back again, but what happens to people that die before that? I mean, do they just vanish? Do they resurrect? Is it an inferior resurrection? What exactly happens uh, to them? And I want you to know that the question of what happens after we die is not a question that only religious people should be asking, but if you're a rational you know, thinking person, it's a question that whether you're an agnostic or atheist, this is a question that we should all be asking. 
But one of the reasons why we don't really think about death is because we think it's morbid. And as modern people, we are sort of like functional ostriches. Do you know what ostriches do when they're cornered by a crouching lion? They don't run away. They bury their heads in the dirt. And the reason why they do that is because when something is out of sight, it is out of mind, and ignorance is bliss. And this is often how we as modern people look at death. Ignorance is bliss. Let's just not think about it. When something is out of sight, it is out of mind. But the great thinkers uh, throughout history, uh, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Buddha, Jesus Christ, they had the courage to take their heads out of the dirt and to contemplate things like death. And one such person uh, is Ernest uh, Becker, who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. And I want to read you an excerpt from his book, The Denial of Death, which can be found on the first page of your bulletin. And in his seminal book, he writes, this is the terror, to have emerged from nothing, to have a name, consciousness of self, deep inner feelings, an excruciating inner yearning for life and self-expression, and with all this, yet to die. Man is literally split into two. He has an awareness of his own splendid uniqueness and that he sticks out of nature with a towering majesty. And yet he goes back into the ground a few feet in order to blindly and dumbly rot and disappear forever. Now, I don't know what uh, Becker's uh, religious background is, but what I think he is saying is this. Uh, throughout history, every culture and religion has promised its members a way of coping with suffering that they're experiencing in this life. And one of the ways that religion and cultures throughout history have uh, uh, helped people you know, go through the suffering that they're experiencing is, is by promising something after you die. And so whether it's Hindus with reincarnation, Buddhists with nirvana, Muslims with paradise, Christians with heaven, there is always some kind of promise uh, of something after you die to help you cope with death. But what Becker, what the Bible is saying in many ways and what other philosophers say is that we as modern people, we are the very first culture that promises its members nothing after you die. If anything, the only thing you are promised is that your identity will cease to exist and you'll be in a state of non-existence forever and ever. And I want you to know if that is what you think, that has ramifications on how we live today. What we think about tomorrow how influences how we live today. So I want to read you another quote from the director Woody Allen in an article called Still Working, Still Terrified. And he says, I make movies not because I have any grand statements to offer, but simply to take my mind off the existential horror of being alive. Movies are a great diversion because it's much more pleasant to think about how the hero in my movie gets out of his predicament than mine. Now, most of us are not directors, so we don't make movies to sort of divert our attention away from death, but we, are, we do do what the prophet uh, the media prophet Neil Postman would say when he says, we amuse ourselves to death. And one of the ways that we do that is by burying our heads in our phones and aimlessly scrolling so that we don't really have to think uh, about anything. 
The Apostle Paul here, however, as he writes this letter to the Thessalonians, he wants them to think about death. And he wants them to think about what happens after death. And if I can read for us verse 13, this is what Paul writes. Brothers and sisters, and here again we have family language, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The word sleep, and in verse 14, the word asleep, uh, is basically a euphemism for someone that is dead because when someone is sleeping, they are quiet and motionless. And similarly, when someone is dead, they are quiet and they are motionless. And what Paul says is, we don't want you to be uninformed about those that fall asleep, but we want you to be informed about what happens so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind. The word grieve here is very interesting because throughout the Old Testament, whenever people grieved and were in anguish, what they would do is they would literally tear apart their clothes. And this was sort of symbolism of how their hearts felt. They felt like their hearts were being ripped apart whenever someone experienced grief, whenever someone experienced anguish. What Paul is saying is, we don't want you to be like the rest of mankind who grieves because they don't have And so what he's basically saying here is this, the absence of hope is the presence of grief. And I like the way that Albert Camus, the philosopher, put it, and I'm modernizing his illustration when he he says, imagine if someone gave you three hours to do whatever you want to do, all expenses paid. What would you do? Maybe take a helicopter ride throughout the city, have dinner at uh, per se, what would you do with the three hours if it was all expenses paid? So let's say you want to do that, a helicopter ride and a dinner per se. And so the person says, I will pay for all of that, but here's the thing, after you do it, you have to swallow this blue pill. And after you swallow this blue pill, you will die. Now would you take that arrangement Would you take that agreement? Would you say deal? Probably not. Why? Because how am I supposed to enjoy the the basketball game or the helicopter ride or the dinner per se if I'm going to die three hours later? There's no way I can enjoy it. So why in the world would I possibly take this deal? And Camus says, that's right. Now, you might not die in the next three hours, but let's elongate that to the next 30 years. Camus says you can do all that you want in the next 30 years, but the outcome you know is still the same. So how can you possibly enjoy doing anything under the sun for the next 30 years? You can't if you know that you're still going to die. And so what Camus and everyone else is saying is that the absence of hope is the presence of grief. But you know what? You can flip that around. That means that the presence of hope is the absence of grief and the presence of hope then it is the presence of enormous, enormous comfort. You know, today as modern people, we say things like whenever someone is going through a difficult time, it's all right, they're in a better place. It's gonna be okay. And we, one of the reasons why we say meaningless platitudes like that is to sort of comfort one another. But within a secular, materialistic, naturalistic worldview, world you and I both know that there is no such thing as a better place. We know that things might not be okay. How do you know things are going to be okay? You don't know if things are going to be okay. That person is not in a better place. 
that person is actually in a far worse place. Uh, there's a journalist uh, who wrote a uh, humorous article and she says that when we're alive, we're completely surrounded by dirt. Our floors are covered by dirt, our rug is covered by dirt, our dishes are covered by dirt, and when we swiffer the floor, we vacuum the rug, we clean the dishes, the next morning, it's covered by dirt again. And what do we get at the end of our lives? Another six feet of dirt. No matter what happens, we are covered by dirt. And so is there a hope? Is there a hope that can give us comfort in the midst of all that we are going through? And I would say yes. And for Christians, our hope is not anchored in meaningless platitudes or sheer optimism. But for Christians, our hope is anchored in the empty tomb. This is where our hope lies. And as a, a Puritan Thomas Brooks would say, it is through this hope that we can see through the darkest of clouds. And I'll share with you one way that the hope of the resurrection has helped me, uh, helped me see through one dark cloud in my own life. In the summer of 2001, I was in Pasadena getting training to go off to China for the next year or two. During one of our training sessions, we were told that 8% of us would experience death to ourselves or to our loved ones over the course of the next year. And I remember being fresh out of college and actually laughing inside of myself because I was so healthy. What's going to happen to me over the course of one year? And up to that point in my life, I had never even been to a funeral. So what could possibly happen over the course of the next year? And if it did, it's just 8% of us. I could easily be a part of the 92nd percentile. What could possibly happen? You know that a month and a half later, 9-11 happened. And my biggest financial supporter, Andy, just happened to work on the 92nd or 93rd floor of the World Trade Center. And Andy had this habit of never coming to work on time. <laughs> but for that particular morning, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was to work out or to study, he actually went to work on time. And because we knew what had happened, Pastor Gene actually and Andy's girlfriend who almost became his fiance, literally went from hospital to hospital to hospital throughout our entire city searching for Andy. But they never found him. Two weeks later, after still searching in vain for him and his body, he was officially declared missing and dead. And after those two weeks, our church had a memorial service for Andy. You know how many people showed up to his memorial service? I know that sometimes we think about that sometimes, how many people would show up to our service? 1,000 people showed up to Andy's memorial service. You see, Andy was in finance, so he was really shrewd with money, and he, was, he knew where to invest in different things. But he knew that the best thing to invest in in life was not real estate, nor was it stocks. But the best thing you can invest in in life is people. And even though he worked like a dog, he always found time for people. So it was no coincidence that a 1,000 people came to honor his life. If you go to Leonia, New Jersey today, there's a tennis court that is named after him because he was awesome in tennis. And if you go to Ground Zero, you can put your finger and trace your finger around his etched name in stone. Today, Andy's name lives on. But you know what? 
it's not only his name that lives on, he lives on. And why can I say that? It's because of the resurrection. When 9-11 happened, my organization asked me if I wanted to go back to the States. And I wasn't sure what to do because I had just gotten there. But when I thought about what Andy would say to me as my biggest supporter, financial supporter, I thought he would just yell at me if I ever went back. And so I actually ended up staying. And I never went to his memorial service. And the reason why I stayed is because one day I know I will see him again. The thought of him actually being incinerated by a hot fire is far more devastating to me than I can even imagine. But I do know this, that because of the resurrection, he now has a glorified body. Now, how can we acquire this hope? Well, let me read for us our final verse in verse 14. And it says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep uh, in him. Two times, verse 14 uses the phrase, we believe, we believe. And this is how you acquire the hope of the resurrection, through faith and belief. It doesn't come by climbing Mount Everest and finding a rare flower to eat. It doesn't happen by climbing a mountain to talk to some old sage that smokes a pipe. It doesn't happen by donating all your money to the poor. It doesn't happen by coming to church every single Sunday. How do you acquire the hope of the resurrection? It is simply through belief. And I want you to know that whether you're religious or not, we all believe in something, every single one of us. Steve Turner, who's an English journalist, In 1993, he satirically wrote a poem that described the modern mind. And even though it was all the way back in 1993, I still think it's very applicable for us today. So let me read the final quote for us on the first page of our bulletin. And Turner says, we believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe that everything is okay as long as you don't hurt anyone to the best of your definition of hurt. We believe there's something in horoscopes, UFOs, and bent spoons. Jesus was a good man, just like Buddha, Muhammad, and ourselves. He was a good moral teacher, although we think that some of his good morals were really bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ only in matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that after death comes the nothing, because when you ask the dead what happens, they say nothing. If death is not the end, then the dead have lied, and it's compulsory heaven for everyone, except for Hitler, Stalin, and Genghis Khan. We believe that man is essentially good, it's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the result of condition. Conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him, Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe there is no absolute truth. Accepting the truth, there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of individual thought. If chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills 10, troops on rampage, 
Bombs blast schools. It is but the sound of man worshiping his maker and his maker being randomness and chance. Whether you're religious or not, we all believe in something. The question is, does what you believe in, will that give you hope even after you die? Because the absence of hope is a presence of grief, but the presence of hope is the absence of grief. And the presence of hope is the presence of enormous, enormous comfort. As Christians, what do we believe in? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And because of that, without Jesus, we approach life with the expectation of death. But with Jesus, we approach death with the expectation of life. Every historian that is credible, religious or not, believes that Jesus lived and died. Every credible historian. So the question isn't whether he lived and died. The bigger question is, did he die and live? Because if he lived and died, then, then death is our Lord. But if he died and lived, then Jesus is Lord. And we believe that on this day, 2,000 years ago, Jesus erupted out of the tomb. And because he conquered death, one day we shall conquer death as well. Now you might be thinking, that why do we still die? And that's a great question. In many ways, what Jesus did was he cut off the head of a chicken. You know what happens when a farmer cuts the head off a chicken? It's still wildly flapping its arms like crazy and running around in circles. And similarly, that is what Jesus has done with death. He has cut the head off of death, but it's still wildly flapping its arms, and we still feel the residual effects of death. But even so, even though we die, we shall live. Now, you might be thinking, but a dead man can't rise again. And you're right. But the point of Easter is this. What if he wasn't just a man? What if he was a God-man? What if he was simultaneously not only fully human, but what if he was fully God? Now, if that's the case, that changes everything, doesn't it? You know, this past Friday, I got a phone call at 7.30 in the morning on Good Friday, a phone call that I have been anticipating for quite some time and yet simultaneously dreading. And it was a phone call from my dear sister, and she told me that my father had just gone through two strokes and that he had a severe blood clot in his leg that needed two surgeries. The right side of his face is paralyzed. The right side of his body is paralyzed as well. According to the doctor, one part of his left brain is completely dead and it is too late to do any brain surgery. My dad's pastor in Korea has been sending me photos and videos uh, over the past 24 hours, showing me pictures of what my dad looks like. And these photos have been a bit emotional for me because I haven't seen or talked to my father in six years for various different reasons. My father has never been the best father in the world. But you know what? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree because now that I'm a father, I realize that I'm not the best father in the world either. My father was not the best husband in the world. He divorced my mom, even though they had two kids before they came to faith at a relatively young age. But you know what, now that I'm a husband, 
just talk to Hannah, and she will tell you all the ways I fall short as a husband. My father is not the best grandfather. He's never met my wife. He's never seen his two cute grandchildren. But you know what? There is one thing my father knows that some of you in this room might not know. My father knows that he is broken. My father knows that there are some things he has done in the past that he very much regrets. My father knows he's a sinner. You see, in Christianity, there is no one that is actually too bad for God. There is no one that is too bad for God. But you know what? There are some people that think that they're too good for him. My father knows he's not too good for God. He knows that he is a sinner. And so does every other Christian in this room. My father knows that he falls short of the standard that he ought to be living to. And so there are two pictures, two icons that I am leaning on heavily this weekend. And they are the cross and the empty tomb. Because the cross is where we find forgiveness and the empty tomb is where we find everlasting life and the resurrection. So if I could talk to my father and he can't speak right now, and I'm not exactly sure how much he understands. The word appa in Korean means father. And I would tell him, appa, I don't want you to feel guilt and shame anymore because you're forgiven. I want you to know that no matter what you have done, your sins are completely cleansed, that I forgive you, God forgives you. And Appa, I want you to know that even though the right side of your face and body is so paralyzed, I hardly even recognize the way that you look now. I want you to know that because of the resurrection, one day you will have a glorified body. And I know that things are not working right now the way that they ought to, but one day they will be fully functioning and be better than ever before. And one day, you will be who I always thought you would be. You will reach the potential that I always knew that you had. That you might be thinking, I'm so sorry for what's happened to your father. But that doesn't give us the liberty to believe in unicorns and rainbows and fairy tales. We're rational people. This is a 21st century world. I'm sorry, but that, it doesn't make me want to believe in God. Well, let me close with one illustration that has helped me from Tim Keller. And Keller says, imagine that you got something in the mail and it looked really, really, really professional professional letter heading, it looks super credible, and it said that you had not won $1 or $10, but $100,000 inherited to you. Now, because you're all smart here in this room, you would say, probably just another scam, I'm just gonna throw it out. This isn't true. But if it looked really credible, wouldn't you at least look into it? Maybe not if it was just a dollar or $10, but if it was $100,000 because the offer is so great, 
Wouldn't you at least look into it? You would, wouldn't you? And similarly, it is with the resurrection. This offer is greater than $100,000. This is eternal life. This is not games. This is eternal life that is freely offered to you. And if the offer is this great, and over two billion people in this world believe in it, and an MIT graduate like Curie believes in it, shouldn't that at least make you inquire or investigate its legitimacy and validity? Shouldn't that at least make you a little bit curious about why so many people believe in it if the offer is this great? If you're a rational thinking person, I think it should. And one tangible way that you can do that is by coming to our Curious event right after our service today, where Curie will be uh, sharing her story and you can actually ask her questions about her faith journey. And you can find out how someone came from non-belief to belief. All you have to do is stick around and show up after our service is over and find how others have come to a saving faith uh, in Jesus Christ. Today's supposed to be a happy day. Good Friday may be like this, not Easter. And so let me, let me close with um, something a little bit more upbeat. Uh, I have two kids, so I read a lot of um, children's books. And um, one of my favorite is Humpty Dumpty. And you all know this story by Mother Goose. And it says, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. But all the king's men and all the king's horses could not put together Humpty again. And similarly, humanity, we have experienced a great fall, a great descent, a fall from God. And while we can't even put ourselves together, there is someone who can. And this is the hope of the resurrection that we have that because Jesus exploded out of the mouth of the grave, one day, though we die, we will live as well. Please pray with me.